Hold the Line with Mike Solon is sponsored by Heart to Heart Medical Supply. Heart to Heart is an American company offering FDA-registered masks at wholesale prices. Now as part of their holiday sale, you can save 20% on all masks store-wide until January 10th. That's an additional 20% off their already low prices. Visit hearttoheart.com. That's H-A-R-T, the number two, H-A-R-T dot com. Hearttoheart.com. We, we've made amazing progress in policing in this country, and it would be tragic to just throw that all away because of, you know, one horrible incident. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. This is where we hold them. This is where we fight. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish. Not a fight. Hey, welcome back to Hold the Line with Mike Solon. Today is the day post Labor Day 2.0, where we had about 50 to 75, I would say, black block Antifa activists march on Spog as they were trying to recreate Labor Day 2.0. And if you remember Labor Day 2.0, we had a situation where roughly almost 300 people, 250, I don't want to give them too much credit. We're marching on Spog to specifically burn down the building. And as you've seen our videos at Spog, uh, we've highlighted on YouTube, the people that were intent on burning this place down as they marched down 4th Avenue South here in Soto towards our building with Molotov cocktails. And the intel we had received via police resources that were working at the time is that these people, as soon as they were going to get here, were going to cause destruction. And that's exactly what they did. That's why the police department did an amazing job that day. They intervened and stopped the, um, the violence from, from occurring, and uh, they did a fantastic job. So yesterday was their attempt at recreating Labor Day 2.0, but honestly, it was a sad recreation but it was comprised of some of the individuals that were part of Labor Day 2.0, but very much a small group, about 50 or so, 50 to 75. And they started about north of us in Soto, kind of like by the uh, where the Seahawks play, CenturyLink Field, and they marched southbound towards us. Now, why were they marching on Spog? Spog's Seattle Police Officers Guild were the union that represents the police officers that work for the Seattle Police Department. The only entities, I believe, that can push back against this nonsensical activism are police unions because police departments can't they have to be uh, they have to toe the line they can't take any kind of view whereas they have an opinion but police unions we have a unique role where we can do that because we're standing up for the officers that do the job we can get into the politics we can get into the fray we can push back and that's what we're doing so they target us yesterday it was as if you're comparing it to crocodile dundee the first movie well, Crocodile Dund- Dundee 2 really didn't re- meet the first one. And that's exactly what happened yesterday. It was a sad attempt at trying to goad us into uh, a police response. They failed miserably. The police officers that worked yesterday did an amazing job protecting our community, protecting private property. And Seattle Police Officers Guild headquarters here in Soto is private property. And uh, it's a sad example of how 50 to 100 people can hold the city hostage for months with just pushing false narratives. And then our city council 
governing towards those false narratives. And it is my pleasure today to tie in all of this with Labor 2.0. Labor Day 2.0 that sadly occurred yesterday and was a complete miserable fail by these activists. Is a SPOG member who I've got in studio. He's actually recently authored an op-ed that was published by the New York Post, which is a national media platform that's been around for decades, highly respected. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to honor and welcome Seattle Police Officers Guild Detective Christopher Young. Welcome in studio, man. Thank you. So you got your op-ed published in the New York Post. Saw it yesterday. Well done. Walk me through why you became a cop, and we'll get to your op-ed in just a minute, and why you continue to serve as a police officer for the citizens for the citizens of this city. I am a police officer because I don't know how not to be a police officer. Um, I love the job. I've, I've done it my entire adult life. Uh, when I was 18, I joined the Army. I became a military policeman. So I've, I've been doing police work for over 30 years. Keep going. <laughs> um, I joined SPD in 1994. It's um, right before I came on. I, I came on in 99. Yeah. And as you remember, in the 90s, there was a lot of crime in Seattle and a lot in the country. Crack. Yeah. Um, but through good policing, we've dramatically lowered the murder rate. I, I think when I came on, the murder rate was over 60 per year, and the population was 200,000 less in Seattle. And we're close to that now. Yeah. I mean, last time I checked, we were up to 55 homicides yeah, in 2020. Absolutely. And last year we had 28. And I don't think it is a coincidence that it's during all this civil unrest. And so you mentioned that, you know, in mid-90s, we did good policing. What does that mean to you, good policing? Like, like for, for, the, for the viewership, the listenership, you know, the activists will always say, well, what do you, there's never been good policing. All cops are bastards. We should abolish the police. That's like, at least that's what the people were saying here last night. That's the narrative. And the reason I wrote that piece was there hasn't been a lot of pushback because people are scared. Um, if you look around the country, the mayor of Portland and the mayor of St. Louis have been run out of their own homes by mobs. And they tried to do that to our mayor. They showed up at her house to intimidate her. So our public officials are afraid to have a fact-paced conversation. And so that's why I stuck my neck out and you know, made some points about how policing has dramatically improved uh, we've used less force over the years, and we've increased the decreased the violent crime rate at the same time. It's an astonishing accomplishment. And so when you have government officials, well, let, let me back up. I, mean, I think it's, I mean, you bring in to the conversation immediately that you came on in 94. You said there was a lot of violent crime, and a lot of it was the crack epidemic, right? Yes. We had crack house upon crack house upon crack house. There was a lot of street crime. I know when I came in, 99, I worked patrol. Uh, there was a lot of street movement, a lot of dope, a lot of gang activity. Um, crack houses were still pretty prevalent, even in the late 90s like that, even in the early 2000s. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I haven't deeply studied the drug issue. It's, it's very troubling social problem. It's complex. Drugs never went away, but I think our, our methods of policing improved. Um, we focused on the very tiny subset of the population that's doing the violent crime. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, the two things that make policing better are, are training and technology. Um, we, you know, we have DNA analysis. Um, when I came on, we didn't have a crime scene investigation team. Um, and, you know, we have a good union that gets us good pay and benefits. So yeah. it attracts high caliber officers. A good union, a strong <laughs> union. Um, police are human beings. They respond to incentives. And, you know... You, you want to work somewhere that has a good dental plan and pays you enough to live. Um, I'd like to point out one thing about this attack on police unions is we have places with no police unions. Most of the Southern United States are right to work States. And I don't think you can make the argument that policing in North Carolina or policing in Texas is amazing because they don't have unions. Nobody's made that argument. So. Yeah, so basically you could be working for that agency and basically you could just show up to work, roll call late. They could say, hey, you're done. Yes, they're all at-will employees. Think about that. And, or you could pull over the mayor's son for drunk driving and not give the guy a break and be let go. So not having unions and not having due process encourages corruption. And. You know, in, in terms of due process, right now, these activists, the nonsensical activists, the people that are using mob bully behavior to get their get the, get their way, are the ones indeed that want to strip police unions with due process rights. They do. And they're playing a dangerous game because they want it narrowly applied just to the police, but you know there's going to be a mission creep because there's people who want to be able to fire teachers they don't like. Yeah, and that, so, that, that's a significant problem. We're going to get into that in just yeah. in this conversation. Um, so you came on in 94. Yeah. What was the reason why you became a cop? Um, I do like the sense of adventure. Um, you know, I didn't want to just sit at a desk or just make widgets. And um, I'm a people person. I mean, you're talking to different people all day long from all walks of life. And it's, you know, it's fascinating. You got, you have a front seat on the greatest show on earth. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great way to putting it. It is the greatest, putting it is the great, greatest show on earth. And you're coming across at least connecting with people in all sorts of, I guess, human interaction, such as you, you catch them on their worst day, but you also catch them on their best day. Sometimes true. Um, you can help people. You hold people accountable for their actions. I mean, you're basically the that human being that keeps our system going, if you will. Right? I agree. I don't think you can have government without police. Uh, society would just devolve into anarchy. I mean, I haven't seen it happen. The activists would like to think that we don't need police and everything will just work fine. Yeah. So um, you're now a detective. Yes. And I saw some things on social media after I tweeted out your 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 article from yesterday that people are trying to come after you, Mister <laughs> Detective for graffiti or something like that. They're trying to clown you. Yeah, yeah. So I, walk us through your career. You started in '94. Um, what were your jobs since you got hired on? By the I was PD? a patrol officer, a field training officer. Um, in 2000, I became a 
domestic violence detective. Um, then I started working in sexual assault and child abuse. I spent most of my career doing that. Um, Which is I, very difficult to do. It is a tough job. Um, I haven't I, done it, but yeah. having conversations with the detectives that do that that amazing work is tough. Not many people can do it. Not many cops can do it. I mean, you have to go to the hospital and see horribly injured children and, and deal with those cases in a calm, professional manner. Um, I worked with uh, CPS and DSHS a lot. And I actually, it actually inspired me to become a foster parent myself. Um, I have three daughters, one biological, and two I adopted from the foster care system. Is that right? Yeah. So it was an important part of my life. But it's a very stressful oh, job. Wow. Good so for you, man. I, Good for you and your family. Yeah. So after seven years of that, I needed a break. And they had a graffiti detective position. You can argue it's a little silly, but <laughs> the city had it. So I applied and did that for a while. And now I then, then I transferred to criminal intelligence and deal with organized crime and complex cases. Sure, sure. Um, well, the graffiti is still getting worse, I, at least well, when I drive around. I, I, don't I, have I, I live in the city. I yeah. live in the city. As do I. Um, you do. I didn't know. Yeah. That's kind of cool. You, I, are you doxing yourself right now? <laughs> I hope Because I know because the, the, the craziest yeah. that purposely watch this just to troll us, to, to throw shade at this great podcast, are going to try to dox you. I, I've lived in the city my entire adult life. I love Seattle. But I will refrain from saying which part of town. <laughs> <laughs> well, good job. Yeah, well, the, is it the graffiti detective position still viable? It, no, it got um, abrogated. Okay, so the due, due to the defunding movement, correct. the correct. graffiti detective position has been abrogated, and we've had to put that pocketed position back into patrol operations, right? Yes. Um, and I've seen just, we talk about crime in the mid-'90s, and now we're back to almost square one where decades of great policing, as you mentioned, training and then technology have really helped us evolve it has. As, a, as an amazing agency. Our elected officials not too long ago said we were a great agency as that model agency. But now we're losing hundreds of officers due to the defund nonsense. And that's a trickle-down effect to our community at large because if you don't have enough cops... Well, naturally, if you have common sense, the logical thinking person, crime is going to rise. And I think that we're, that's, at least that's what I'm seeing where I live. Now, I think people at the comfort of their own homes, if it hasn't visited their doorstep yet, I think that they're seeing it from an outside perspective if it's not that personal yet. However, when you go drive around into the more common areas such as the junction in West Seattle, for example, and I live near that area, the activist mob marched on my home. Um, I see the breakdown of our society, if you will, because the lack of policing, the lack of support, particularly from our elected officials. And then that will eventually, in my belief, if we continue to go down this path, crime, and that's not being alarmist, it's being a realist, crime will visit people's doorsteps. More, more often than not. Would you agree? I agree. I mean, I believe recently our city council promised to disband the police department and have some 
other kind of entity, but they backed off that. And I think the reason they had to is they couldn't find a rational way to deal with violent crime. Uh, somebody has to deal with violent, dangerous people that want to hurt people. Someone has to do it. And we're those people. Yeah. We're those people that do that, did that answer that call. And, you know, as far as the other crime and disorder issues, I mean, that's, that's a whole rabbit hole. We probably don't want to go down, but I I think good public policy has to have carrots and sticks. I mean, you describe that. I mean, the, the carrot would be, you know, social welfare programs, housing, drug treatment, I'm in favor of all those things, and we need all those things. And we're a progressive police department. I mean, that is what our um, the people who helped the homeless um, NAV the NAV teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had social workers with them. They which were, has been defunded. Yes. Um, Thanks, but, council. But they also had police officers to try to get people to uh, you know obey the law and follow the rules. When you're in a big crowded city, people have to follow the rules to make it livable. Um, you know, I don't think anybody wants piles of trash everywhere and use hypodermic needles everywhere. And, you know, people having a, a mental health crisis, you know, screaming in the street. I mean, you got to have balance. And right now, do you feel as if we're unbalanced? No, because the activists, are are kind of winning. I'll, I'll, I'll correct that. I said, do you believe that we are unbalanced or balanced? Unbalanced. Okay. It's it's all we're trying to keep throw stick. We're throwing carrots at at the problem, and there's no, no real ca- solution. There's no accountability. There's no. There's a huge reluctance to reluctance to enforce the law. So you got to have a little of both. So seems like you've had a pretty good career so far. And how many more years do you think you want to do? Um, well, I'm 51. Gonna try to make it to 53. Yeah. So if you, so, people that are out there, uh, 53 years of age, 25 years of service in the state of Washington, that's when you can retire and get your full pension. Right. Um, and that's what the unions do: is we try to get hours, wages, and working conditions, and then help your wages impact your pension, so you have a good quality of life post retirement. And so, um, you know, you came out in the 90s. You've been living in Seattle all your life. You're raising a family. You have three kids. Two are foster kids. They're adopted now. Adopted. Um, Have you seen Seattle, and you mentioned progressive. I believe we are living in a progressive society in Seattle. Has Seattle got more progressive in a negative way. And what I mean by that is because because you have you have two different political parties, right? You have the Democrat Party and the Republican Party. To me, living in the city, I've been here since I moved here for the job. Um, at least in the past seven years, I've seen Seattle's political power base go further left. Yeah, it's it's gotten toxic. Um, I'm left on everything. You know, I, I want uh, progressive policing. I think we should figure out a way to decriminalize drugs and treat it more as a medical problem. We're not there yet. I, I, I don't think you can just flip a switch and stop enforcing the law. 
Um, I, I think you have to maintain law and order or people are going to get hurt. Like we're seeing the, the murder rate is going up and you know, we really don't have anything good to show from that. So like I would say that drug treatment, would you consider, I mean, it's, it's cool that you've got a viewpoint of being progressive policing. Like, yeah. uh, would you, so you'd say you're more left of center, correct? I, I'm pretty much left on everything. Okay. Except I like the police, which apparently that's just, if you're on the left now, it's ironic. You have to hate the police. Yeah. So I, and I think that rule. Yeah. I mean, for me, politically leaning, I'm more yeah. center. Yeah. If not a little bit more to the right. You and I have had yeah. a brief conversations. Sure. I think we had, we for, I mean, I've had connection with you throughout the course of your career, but we never really sat down and really talked. I think the last time we had a decent connection talking wise, we did the inaugural, uh, uh, we went and worked in DC in 2016 oh, yeah. for Donald Trump's election. Yeah. We were there as a security element. So if you're unaware, like when the president, uh, gets sworn into office, the whole parade and and all that. They, uh, the government, federal government, Department of Justice, all the entities, they ask for mutual aid across the nation. So everybody, police agency can go. If you could correct hey, me on that. That's true. And you should point out when you volunteer for that, you don't know who the president's going to be. Correct. Yeah. I so. thought it was going to be a love fest for our first female president, <laughs> <laughs> but. I promised to go, so I went, even though... Yeah, so you Mr. signed Trump up point. months prior. Yes. And so did I. We signed <laughs> up months prior. You just want to go experience this thing. Right. I mean, it's a really cool part it of is. our history. So mutual aid, you get departments across the nation that volunteer a certain amount of people. So I think, what, we had 40? Something like that? 40 SPD officers. 40 SPD officers, and we went to D.C. We actually worked the parade route in uniform, and we assist the Secret Service with just protection details. Pretty cool event. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. So, um, my, you know, I'm more, I'm more of a center guy. Um, I see that this city has devolved. I think more so to the detriment of us, due to completely immersing itself with far left, almost activist political leanings. Well, if, if we're going to get into politics... Well, we have to, because I, think, <laughs> my, well, because I think it ties into... And you can correct me. I don't want to put words in right. your mouth. But I think it ties into your column and the individuals that we're encountering on a day-to-day basis in terms of defund, abolish the yeah. police. Well, my belief is if you go far enough left, it circles back around to the far right. So take, for example, defund the police. There is a anti. They're they're using the right wing strategy of starve the beast to reduce the size of government because a classic conservative wants a smaller government, so they just and they don't want police unions or unions in general. No, they don't. They want the government to be absolutely as small as possible. Well, I would say the the anti police activists are using right wing strategies very effectively. There's a anti-tax activist called Grover Norquist who's famous for saying, I don't hate government. I just want it to be small enough so I can drag it in the bathroom and drown it in the bathtub. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what Antifa wants to do. Um, because if there's one way you want to make policing dysfunctional and even brutal is to starve it of resources. So if we can't do our job properly and we can't hire good officer candidates, it's going to be a mess. And people are going to agree, yeah, we need to just get rid of this. So I, I agree with you. Um, why 
are our elected officials now governing in the matter in a manner that is almost supportive of that ideology that you just described? Well, the activists have convinced everyone that if you don't agree with them, you don't believe in social justice, and maybe you're even racist. And it's scary. Nobody wants to be attacked. Yeah, nobody wants to be, I guess, doxxed. Yeah. Nobody wants to be maligned or besmirched. No. And they don't want people going to their homes or just doxing them in general, right? No. I, I, I mean, as a society, the only way we can really make progress is by talking. I mean, that's really the only choice for politics is you can fight or you can talk. And I would rather talk. And we're at the point now where the politics is so toxic that people are afraid to talk or they'll have some mob show up at their house. It's not good. It's not good at all. So for the record, I am opposed to political violence. And I'd like to talk about the Santifa thing. Um, so so I, the mob that showed up yesterday right. at I think Antifa and the anarchists are kind of the same thing. They seem like the same folks to me. They dress the same. I mean, Antifa has their own flag. Um, but I, I think it's, it's concerning that, you know, just kind of regular Seattle liberals are saying, are taking them seriously. And I don't think they understand that they don't want police. They don't want prisons. They don't want jails. And I don't think the average Seattle citizen really wants to sign up for that. So, so they're kind of playing a disingenuous game where they're saying they want to defund the police and have more social services, but what they really mean is abolish the police. I mean, a lot of the major activists are, will tell anybody they'll listen. They want no police whatsoever. Colin Kaepernick, for example, is right. His, you can look it up. He's written a bunch of essays saying reform doesn't work, we just need to get rid of the police. So, so what's, what do you think, I mean, I would love to just talk with somebody that has that mindset. What's the alternative then? If you, if you don't have police, what's the alternative for, for mankind or, or humans? Well, um, rich people will have armed security. The haves? Um, Poor people will probably have criminal gangs. And the have-nots. And everybody else in between, maybe vigilante mobs. Doesn't sound great for me. And I don't think the average Seattleite wants to sign up for that. But most of the average Seattle residents, they, they're sympathetic to defund because they're like, well, you know, I don't want police to be aggressive and be mean to people, and I do want more well, I, social welfare. And, and we don't want that either. I don't want it either. I don't know one <laughs> SPOG member that has that type of mentality that wants to go out and hurt people, let alone kill somebody, or violate people's rights. Well, if they do do that, they're not going to stick around here for long. Well, exactly. Uh, and so then, you know, we taught, and this is why I bring in politics, because now more than ever, politics is being intentionally inserted into public safety issues impacting our community, not just in Seattle, but nationwide. And if George Floyd didn't occur... We would, we would still be having the election, the national election, and yet there would still be killings at the hands of police because it's a national issue. 
I mean, it impacts all police agencies that sometimes we have to unfortunately make that use of force decision, that split second human decision to take somebody's life. But it's not as profound or prevalent as the activists would like us to believe. And so therefore, that's where politics gets inserted into our profession. And then now they're using politics to, I believe, impact a national election. I don't know, I, would, I would ask you, why is politics so profound in policing? And then more importantly, why is it that if you look at two parties, Democrat and Republican, why is one particular party vocally supportive of police where one is not? In fact, it seems to be doing the opposite to, su- to not support police. Well, I mean, woke social justice used to only be in college campuses, but it's spread you know, into other places in society, into journalism, um, into corporate America, um, so in Hollywood. So they're, they're winning the propaganda battle. And the way they are winning it is by saying things that are not true or exaggerating things. And in my article, I discuss the actual numbers of how um, police use of force has dramatically reduced over the years. And I use the New York Police Department as an example because it's by far the largest police department. 40,000 cops. Yeah. Um, In the 70s, they would kill 90 or more uh, citizens uh, in in use of force incidents. And now it's single digit. And why do you think that's the case? Those are, that's a pretty drastic drop. Well, some of it, yeah, some of it is, some of it is broader societal trends, which anti-police activists will say that's all it is. But I would disagree. (laughs) It's training and technology. Training and technology. Because it, like it, so we'll, we'll get to the, 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 the matter in in your op-ed, which was fantastic, by the way. And I think I commend you for your courage to put it out there. Um, but it, you mentioned, you mentioned before training and experience and technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I can give examples. Like training would be telling officers to de-escalate, um, you know, telling them to avoid using force, take cover, try to talk to the person, at least try not to use force mm-hmm. if possible. Technology would be tasers, beanbags, other less, less lethal munitions. And so when you have politicians who are reacting to the loud activist mob voice that are saying we are violating rights, we're using disproportional amount of force, and particularly with the George Floyd protests, mm-hmm. when we remove the technology piece, the tools piece, the less lethal tools piece, which you just described, and this ties into your point just a few seconds ago, the dramatic drop in killings because of training and technology. What, what ends up happening if we remove those tools? Well, I think we're going to see more use of force, which I don't want, and I hope most of the activists don't want, but part of me thinks some of them do want it. They, they want it to be a self-fulfilling prophecy for us not to be able to do our jobs effectively to justify getting rid of us because they have a very extreme 
anarchist ideology where they don't want any government. They don't want cops. They don't want prisons. I mean, I would like to live in that paradise, but I don't think it's realistic at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so if you remove the police, there goes your, your ultimate goal, right? To have your utopia. Do you believe that the Chaz Chop experience was their, I think they're, they're dipping their toes into their utopia? Yeah. I mean, and th there's two sides of that argument. I mean, during the day, it wasn't so bad. I mean, there, it was like a street fair during the Somewhere day. Summer of love during the day? It might be pushing it a little. I mean, I was there, and I did see some violence during the day. If somebody came through their border they didn't like, they would be dealt with violently. Um, but, I mean, we tried an experiment of no police, um, and it just killed young black men that the movement says it wants to protect. And it, it's a horrible tragedy, and it makes me sad. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so then let's transition into your piece. Why did you feel it necessary to voice how you're thinking? Because, it, because I think, you know, I mentioned just a, not too long ago, it takes courage to, to, to speak out. And I've already seen just on the Twitter mob pushing back on you, and you're already trying to be, well, they're already making inroads to try to dox you. Correct. They're hitting you with spam at your .gov email address. They are, and so this is this is what in, this is what happens is that they try to put you into a box, right? At least they're trying to. Initially, I've already been let up when I tweeted it out at Real Mike Solon. Um, they're already trying to light you up and malign you, because I don't believe they have, let alone the will or the ability to have a conversation. They just want their viewpoint heard. And if you disagree with their viewpoint, you're not worthy of a discussion. Therefore, they have to put you into a box and then go after your character. That's how they enforce their way. Sadly, it's an effective strategy. And then you mentioned, you know, they're in all sorts of our society, meaning these activists, this Antifa type, these anarchists. They've, they've successfully infiltrated college campuses, been going on for decades. Do you believe that they're in our education system? I have kids that go to Seattle schools, and there's some... Indoctrination? Yeah, there's some pretty extreme stuff they're teaching them that, you know, they're basically saying that the United States in 2020 is a hellscape of racist oppression and kind of ignores the fact that we elected a black man president two times. So it's how many it's, prominent African-American yeah. people have actually held high office in the United States government. Been many, a ton. Many. Many. <laughs> yeah. So I guess when you're met with these sad realizations, such as, you know, stuff being put into our society, such as the indoctrination in our public schools, um, it's in Hollywood more importantly, it's in media. Um, you decided to speak out. You've kind of had enough, right? Yeah, I mean, the only way to make real progress is to have a fact-based conversation. And they just keep repeating things that are not true. They're saying that policing is hopelessly broken and nothing ever gets better and reform doesn't work, when clearly it does. Sure. And the one 
thing we haven't talked about that really bugs me and may interest you is the militarization thing. Sure. Well, let's we'll we'll break down yeah. your piece and, I'll, so, and, and and we'll read it. I would yeah. just want to get real quick before we delve into it even further. Um, why did you know? We've kind of briefly touched on why you wanted to write this, but walk with me some of the mental hurdles, <laughs> if you're comfortable sharing, of your because you're a progressive police officer. I mean, I, I think yeah. making when you become a police officer, there tends to be this progression we're using the p word a lot mm -hmm. where you're kind of green at least i was coming and i mentioned this in the first podcast when victoria beach was here you, you had this idea that you want to do good and i wanted to go into the uh to the high crime area the rainier valley and there's a lot of crime there a lot of guns a lot of dope and that was my that was my thing i wanted to go after the bad people that were doing arm in the community as far as running go running dope hurting killing people go hold them accountable for their actions but then i you know you don't see the other side of it the societal impact as you gain more training and experience of the social aspects of policing in an inner city in an ur urban area predominantly of minorities black areas that are unfortunately plagued with crime um you don't see that side and so Seattle's being progressive as it is and you being progressive in your politics, but you're getting frustrated with the hijacking of a lot of progressive values that you hold dear to your heart, correct? And you've mentioned it's taking the right-wing approach almost first circle that now the activists are using that type of ideology to put forth their agenda to the detriment of our society. And so you've had enough. And so you yeah. decide to write this. So walk me through a little bit more of why you decided to write this column. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, liberalism is freedom of thought and action, which right now we don't have a lot of because if you go against the you know, woke orthodoxy, you have a risk of having a mob show up at your house like you've experienced. Mm -hmm. And I live in Seattle, and I have a lot of progressive friends, and a lot of the activist talking points they believe them because they've heard them so many times and they never really get challenged. And I'm not saying it's wrong to make these assert assertions, but I think in order to have real lasting progress, you need to have a debate. Um, I mean, I'm a, I think progressives need conservatives, conservatives need progressives. If you have too much of a good thing is bad. Um, because you, you can just go too far. So we need to have a healthy debate. And that's lacking because you get attacked if you disagree with any of their talking points. And that's fascism, isn't yeah. it? And they're claiming well, that we're they, the fascists, right? <laughs> I've been called a fascist and a Nazi and Hitler-esque in all sorts just of today. <laughs> Hold the Line with Mike Solon is sponsored by StopDefunding.com. The senseless trend of defunding police departments must be stopped. Over 200,000 reasonable citizens have already signed our petition, and we need your help. Visit StopDefunding.com and add your signature to help us protect public safety. Now more than ever, our voices must be heard. Speak up at StopDefunding.com. So let's get into your, your column. Yeah. Um, 
congratulations on having being published in the New York Post. That, that's 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 a big feat. I mean, you can tell that you're you're passionate. You're passionate about your profession, but more so, you're passionate about this area, this police department. But more, but more so, policing in general. I am, and if I didn't care, I wouldn't say anything. I'm, I, I'm not getting paid for this. I have nothing to gain except some grief, maybe. Grief, yeah, grief because you're <laughs> currently being doxxed. But I actually care about the city, and I care about policing, and I want my children to grow up in a, a just and fair society where everyone can thrive. Well said. So let's break this down. And I'm just going to uh, read some excerpts of this real quick. And uh, let's see what day was this. You just published yesterday, later in the evening. As a progressive who wants to decriminalize drugs and advance the welfare state, I fit in well in my Pacific Northwest community, except that is for my job. I've been a big city cop here for 26 years. Before that, I served in the military. Thanks for your service, by the way. The raging hashtag defund the police movement doesn't know me and my colleagues at all. And persistent myths about police and their critics do more harm than good. Pretty good opening right there. Four myths especially deserve debunking by an officer who knows. And you do know, as you've mentioned it here. So number one, police, and, and for, for, for the listenership, the viewership, if you're watching this, we're going to put it into the, uh, into the link so you can just go directly to this piece. If you're a listenership, I mean, you can just see it right now if you want. Go to NewYorkPost.com or you can go to the Seattle Police Officers Guild social media or my social media at real Mike Solon or hold the line with Mike Solon. You'll be able to get it there. Um, we, he breaks out down these four myths about police that I think are so on point that it's one of the better breakdowns for somebody who's in the know that I've read. And it's, and it's simple and it's easy to digest. And you can tell you're well-versed, you've researched this, that you're passionate about it and you use data, you use experience, training as a police officer, but more importantly, you use, I think, who you really are as a person, a person who just wants to see good for all of our society, right? So number one, police are killing large numbers of civilians. Let's talk about that. Is that true or not? Well, the police in the United States kill about 1,000 people a year, which 1,000 sounds like a big number and sounds disturbing, but when you put into context that we have 330 million citizens and we have 400 million guns, um, I think that's pretty good. I'd like to do better, and I think we all would. Nobody shows up to work and, uh, and wants to get involved in a shooting. So the data doesn't really support the activist talking points. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Um, and, and you have to keep in mind that the vast majority of those use of force incidents are not controversial. The, the police are stopping somebody from murdering them or another person. And there's maybe one a month. So I, I think we could all do better. The police are not perfect. And we should all strive to do better. But the argument that policing is hopelessly broken does not add up. Why do they then particularly target the racial component of these killings? And do you think that that's a fair 
I think, criticism of policing that we're racist because we target specifically in deadly force situations African-Americans. The, the criticism is that the percentage of people who are killed by the police don't match the percentage of the population, 13% versus 28%. Um, unfortunately, due to historical racism and poverty, black people are more involved in violent crime. I mean, the comparison would be like 95% of the people uh, that the police shoot are men. And nobody's saying cops hate men and they're biased against men. It's because men commit more violent crimes. Um, and, and when we're talking about violent criminals, it is a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the population of, of any racial group. Broadly speaking. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, you have to remember these big numbers. The numbers are so big, the human mind can't comprehend a third of a billion people. So these are very rare incidents. We are a huge, highly populated country. And so why do you think that the activists focus specifically on that racial component, particularly saying that police, the reason why that's being done is because police are racist? Um, I mean, because the average person is against racism. And I mean, it works. And, and the numbers don't line up exactly. Um, so was it a way yeah. for them to, I would say, explain those deaths or use it for political advantage? I do have to ask them. But what what they're doing is effective. So yeah, they're, they're you know. Well, it's a complete false narrative. Um, it's my view. I mean, I'll, I'll go there. I think that it's it falls flat. The uh, the talking point that cops specifically target African Americans based upon their skin color, and then intentionally murder them, I think is such an egregious um, talking point that is so profoundly false. That's at the crux of this matter, and that's what they use to push their movement to defund to abolish the police as the racial component to divide us from the communities that we serve for political purposes, for their ultimate utopia. And the problem is, is that the biggest proponent of having police are those communities that are plagued by violent crime. It's those minority neighborhoods. And that's the utter hypocrisy. I mean, that, that, that's where I find this so profoundly unfair and, and just wrong that the only entity that is really highlighting it, you mentioned pushback, are police, police unions. And so if they use race identity politics, which seems to be a progressive political go-to, but more so on the detriment of now what they're trying to use, identity politics, to divide us for their own political gain, I think we all are in serious trouble. Would you agree to some of that as far as impacting your first point yeah i i don't see any of this helping the black community um it it's increasing crime which unfortunately disproportionately affects the black community which nobody wants um and and that's what happened in Chaz. yeah and 
you know, we talked we talked briefly about you know the media. We talked about how these activists are are in all these major institutions in our society. Um, do you feel that the false narratives that are being pushed about us um, has any way of stopping for the foreseeable future for the betterment of our society in terms of police are killing large number of civilians, apparently? I It's 2020. I'm not predicting the future. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, all we can... All we can do is push back. You know, people who are brave and honest can push back, and and try to have a fact-based discussion. Um, you know, they, they cherry pick some data to say that the system is inherently racist, and they but they mainly use anecdotal evidence, mm. like the George Floyd killing. Which, I'll be honest with you, I was horrified. I couldn't watch the whole thing. I don't know oh, one cop that thinks that was reasonable. I, to this day, I've not watched the entire. It's disgusting. Eight minutes, because I'm like, I'm just thinking, what are you thinking, man? Get off of him. The optics alone, right? Yeah, yeah. it's it's bad police work. It's, it's so callous. So I was horrified, yeah. and I and every police officer I know that saw it was horrified. Um, when when you have hundreds of thousands of people doing a job, you're going to get people that are just plain bad at it, or malicious or criminals that uh, we need to get rid of. We need to have a strong, highly functioning system that lifts up good officers and doesn't chase them out of town. Yeah, because um, my fear is if we continue down this path of defund yeah. or abolishing mm -hmm. and you have this high degree of scrutiny on the job of policing, how are you going to be able to recruit quality human beings to do this job with this with the standards that are currently in place you're going to have it eventually those are going to have to lessen they're going to have to lower their standards right it's a race to the bottom and what i fear is they're going to create the walmartization of interesting policing. so expand that walmartization well just try to make it as cheap as possible the product yeah i mean do you want you know, a well-paid professional, or do you want a mall cop? And if you continue down the path of defund and attacking good police officers, you're you're just going to get mall cops, people that you know wouldn't normally be able to get the job. Um, I mean, it's a very selective process. Um, I mean, occasionally there are bad cops do slip through the system and get in, but, you know, they don't stick around long. No. It's not tolerated. No. I and, mean, the, and, and the notion that all that police unions, all they do is protect bad cops, do you find that, uh, I guess, m moving at all or, or real? Well, I'm going to criticize the union for Let's a bit. do it. And I think if we were more transparent about discipline, Yes, it would be better. Like, give me an example. Like, um, it's a few times a year, cops get fired, and you know you, they put out these disciplinary notices, but they don't have the names on them. It's kind of done quietly. I guess they don't want to embarrass the officers unnecessarily, but people believe that because of the union, it's impossible to fire a cop. 
Sadly, no. Cops, uh, the last one was a guy got fired for getting in an accident and his police car and not telling anybody and then kind of lying about it. Fired him. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not the crime of the century, but we don't put up with dishonesty. Right, and no, and no cop should put up with a dishonesty. That's the yeah. biggest, that's the only thing that we have, yeah. is how we come across if we're honest individuals, right? So the, the idea that the unions, you know, cloak officers from any accountability is absurd. If you do something wrong, you're, you're not going to have this job. Completely agree. And so um, for, for, for the naysayers out there that try to push this, and that's why they marched on us yesterday, no new contract, uh, abolish police unions, get rid of police unions. And you're basically saying that we don't have a right to due process. So the reason why the unions exist is because we have to protect our own because there's nobody else that's going to protect. You mentioned right to work states. You can get fired for not wearing the uniform right. I mean, that, 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 that's a and not a great example, but that's how some some, some, some things happen, personality-wise. You don't get along with the chief, you're gone. And how is that reasonable? It's not. So unions here in, in, in a labor-friendly state, labor-friendly city, I see the signs in the city council, city hall windows, pro-labor. Well, particularly, they don't really like police labor, apparently. And that's an egregious hypocr hypocrisy point that, that, that they push out. Um, I, police unions are needed to protect cops. The problem is when you talk about discipline, the discipline process, the apparatus that's currently in place, which I think is does a good job. It's civilian-led here in the city of Seattle. It's very progressive. And I think the system's working. And what we're noticing is that the investigations, sometimes they're not as robust as they could be. And so, therefore, when we have a disagreement with the accountability system in terms of putting discipline towards an officer, well, as a union, we have a contractual obligation to protect that person's livelihood, their hours, wages, and working conditions. And if the investigation falls short, well, then that's where the union rule comes in. And we do that job defense, if you will, to make sure that the investigation is fixed. And so when there's a disagreement, labor-wise, well, the apparatus in place is to go to arbitration. And it's a neutral arbitrator, somebody who's certified, that's handpicked by the city and the union and agreed to to overhear this case. And that neutral arbitrator, who's a civilian, it's usually about a 50-50 split, whether they'd agree with the city or they agree with the union. So I think... Another false narrative is that all police unions do is cover for bad cops. Well, the system's in place to get rid of the bad cops. And then you brought it home not too long ago, and I agree with you. We don't want bad cops. But number one, because it creates work, and it creates negative publicity on the great people that are doing the job. And it makes us look like we do. You know, it, 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 to, So to me, it falls flat in the system right now in place. It's doing its job. The accountability process works. Um, but they want to remove arbitration rights now in Olympia. At least there's some bills. They also want to decertify us. Their attempt at decertifying, removing your peace officer certification with the Criminal Justice Training Commission. That's the end around to arbitration. So they want to avoid arbitration, having a neutral arbitrator, which is the system in place for all public sector unions. But they just don't want to have that for police, apparently. 
So again, more hypocrisy. How is that fair? It's not. So they basically want a right-to-work state for just police. But every other labor union is okay. Um, and I think it ties into this, this conversation with your first point. And I'll read your first point. Police are killing large number of civilians. That's simply not true. In New York City, the police department has meticulously tracked every shot fired by its officers since 1971. These officers represent 5% of the entire American force, so it's a large sample. The NYPD's annual report shows a dramatic, sustained drop in killings by police from 93 in 1971 to just 5 in 2018. And you mentioned training and technology. It's an excellent piece. Training and technology costs money. And when you defund police, what's the first thing to go? Yeah, I haven't been in training in a while. There you go. So <laughs> when you defund police, the first thing, even in just in business, training. Yeah. It's gone. You might get some video training now and again. Right, and that's except what we're, we're getting now. Yeah. COVID. Yeah. Okay. Well, great points. Uh, and I'll go through your uh, your first talking point here. The reality is that U.S. policing has steadily improved over the past 50 years, well said. In Gotham, officers firing a gun have gone from a daily to monthly occurrence, and the city has become dramatically safer over the same period of time. In other words, the NYPD has successfully used less lethal means of preserving and improving the rule of law. Expand on that a bit. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, there is a huge drop in the murder rate in New York City. Um, it was like over 1,000 a year, and now it's under 300, I believe. So we, we've made amazing progress in policing in this country, and it would be tragic to just throw that all away because of, you know, one horrible incident, you know, if it wasn't Minneapolis, would be somewhere else. Yeah. So if George Floyd didn't occur, it, it, would, it would be, be some. It'd be used some other killing caught on video without context, five to ten second clip. Yeah. Or maybe it is truly horrible, but that is not a routine thing. That's an aberration. But you're you're going to have misconduct like that, and you're going to have things that just, that look terrible when you have such a huge country. It's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. We we can try work to we should work very hard to avoid it though. But um, police officers are human. There's going to be mistakes. Well said. Your second point. The anti-cop movement is largely peaceful. Again, false. The movement rather is akin to the Batman villain Two Face. <laughs> Pretty good comparison. Anyone who watched the protests on television would know that the daytime ones were lawful free speech. But the dynamic changed dramatically at night. Protests became intentional riots designed to draw a police response that allowed rioters to claim victim status. Go ahead with that. I mean, yeah, I mean, at night, I guess there's less chance of the, them being identified for committing crimes. But I've had green lasers shown in my eyes that could do permanent damage. Um, you know, they throw rocks, bottles. And so when you have council members who want pontificate and falsely claim that the police were the agitators during those nightly riots, would you agree or disagree with her? Disagree. I mean, it doesn't look pretty when they're, the streets are full of tear gas 
Um, that was very controversial. But I was in the Army, and they, they said it was a war crime, which is kind of strange to me because I was in the Army, and they tear-guessed us all the time during training. So that's a new one on me. Um, but the reason we use those less lethal tools is to avoid physical violence. Um, to reduce the use of force, correct? Exactly. Um, I mean, it, of course we can adjust that and we've made adjustments. Um, this is kind of an unprecedented thing. And I am not an ex, I don't want to really comment on protest tactics. That's not my area of expertise. Okay. Um, but the entire protests at night were a propaganda operation to make the police look bad and to do just enough to provoke a response. Do you think that those agitators, those criminal actors at night to provoke police coordinated? Well, of course, yeah. I mean, you could, you could look on Twitter. They're, they're coordinating. Yeah. Nationally coordinated? I don't know. <laughs> but it seemed to me, I don't you know. know, if you look at all the major urban cities, that they seem to be, have the same... Actions. Well, they appear to be influenced by the the protests in Hong Kong. I mean, that's where they got the umbrellas from. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not an ex expert at what they're doing, but I mean, it's it's kind of absurd that the media just bought into that narrative of it's peaceful no matter what, no matter how many things they set on fire. They tried to set the building we're sitting in on fire more than once, right? Yes. Twice? Uh, once here. And then these precincts, obviously, was yeah. so, firebombed. Cemented in. It's reasonable. <sighs> yeah. So fire rate, but peaceful. Do you, think, um, do you think these people were funded in some way? I don't know. I don't, I don't want to get into <laughs> conspiracy theories. I mean, I've, I think I've heard of them accepting donations uh, for people that, you know, maybe well-meaning want to help out and help the cause of social justice. Okay. All right, so expanding on your second point. They would begin with insults, shouted at the riot line for hours in the hope that exhausted officers would retort on video. Some told officers to commit suicide. Then they would throw rocks, shine bright lasers in our eyes, and throw fireworks and Molotov cocktails, forcing the police to respond. Yet the mainstream media adopted the comically false, quote, peaceful protest, unquote, narrative, and perpetuated the myth of pervasive police brutality. For activists, it was a successful propaganda operation, encouraging the police to engage with force, then driving the narrative that law enforcement, quote, overreacted, unquote, to latter-day Gandis. My Gandhi's. 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 Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm going to get lit up. <laughs> Expand on that. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it worked brilliantly for him. Uh, uh, like you said in the beginning, the all, all of the public officials that were supervising the consent decree said we did everything they asked. We were a progressive police department that used very little force. And then June came around and you know, we're violent monsters and, oh my God, what are we going to do to stop stop them from hurting citizens? Well, then the only solution then is to defund us, right? Well, that's the narrative. That's the narrative. <laughs> so expand, I, I really like your yeah. analogy here, Gandhis. Is, are you talking, you're referring to Ga Gandhi? And Gandhi, the, gotcha. the, yeah, the peaceful protester against... That's right. 
British colonialism in India. I really like that. Um, what made you make that comparison? Well, it's just absurd because the uh, Antifa came there, you know, to to commit political violence and through violence, it, it worked for him. I, I, you know, I think we have to admit what they did worked for him. They, yeah. they Na- people not bought, just here locally, but yeah. nationally. Yeah, people bought into it. That do you think it was tied to the election at all? Yes. Um, our president uh, is uniquely divisive, so he really made the left go crazy. Um, and, and that's, you know, the stress of having a very unconventional and divisive president and having COVID, I think, yeah. added It was to like this. the perfect storm. It really was. I just want to make sure that Mike's boom's not getting in the way. That's good. <laughs> okay, well, I like the way that you compare the Gandhi... Um, the peaceful protest with just the, the utter, just how egregious this was as far as the activists using that platform. Yeah. Okay, number three is your third myth of, of this issue. Abolishing the police wouldn't lead to lawlessness. Many of the defenders are genuine anarchists who want no government at all and believe in a society of angels who serve each other voluntarily. This is nonsense. One of the greatest achievements in human history was creating government monopolies on the use of force. Ancient tribal societies had a violent death rate of 500 per 100,000 people per year. That number dropped to 50 in medieval societies and just one to five in the modern West. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I get a lot of that from the author, Steven Pinker. Um, he wrote book, Enlightenment Now, Better, better angels of our nature. He's been kind of canceled because he doesn't completely follow the narrative, uh, even though he's a very liberal college professor. Um, but so, a, a, almost every human problem we can measure has gotten better through the long lens of history and in the last 50 years. Well said. It's, it seems like the far-left progressives that are trying to put forth their agenda they seem to be eating their own. They are. Um, if, if you stray, they, they like to burn heretics. <laughs> if you stray from the orthodoxy. Um, and, and that is the irony of progressives is they hate progress. Um, it's almost like they want everything to be terrible. So it's frustrating. As, prog- as a real progressive who actually wants to make humanity better off, it's frustrating for me. Well said. I'll go on to expand before we get to four. Seattle's recent experiment with the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, or CHAZ, proves this. Police weren't allowed in the, quote, occupied, unquote, protest zone for three weeks. It immediately became a hellscape and led to the shooting deaths of two young black men. The very people the movement claims to want to protect from the police. I mean, you've mentioned that earlier. Anything else you want to expand on that? It's, again, the haves and have-nots. And that if we continue down this path, we will devolve further. And unfortunately, it's the minority neighborhood that will become victim of violent crime, correct? Yeah, and I would like to, to remind everyone that during the Chaz episode, there were left-wing militia carrying rifles around, and they had no accountability. 
They didn't have body cams on them. They didn't have an Office of Professional Accountability to examine their use of force. Civilian-led. Yeah. Office of Inspector General, civilian-led. It was true anarchy. Community Police Commission. So, yeah, I mean, we did the experiment. It was painful and tragic. I, it's frustrating to me that we didn't learn that lesson. I'm... Well, I mean, it's, just, it's basically ignored. The lesson is activists. now that we no longer have a mayor who's going to run for re-election, and it appears as if we're continuing down this path of unreasonable activism in terms of our government elected officials who are rumored to have been wanting to run for office. So my fear is that we will lose a moderate Democrat in favor of somebody who's more now left-leaning, furthering this nonsensical activism. That's my fear, too, and that um, the murder rate goes up. I mean, there are cities the same size as Seattle that have three, 400 murders, if, if you look around the country. We have a very low crime rate, and I fear it will go up. Well, it's already going up. Yeah, I think you're right. Even more. Even more. Even more. Getting to number four. Today's police are, quote, militarized, unquote. Wrong. Wrong, wrong. You seem to have some passion behind that one. Yeah, and, and that is the one that the average citizen seems to believe the most. Because of the armored vehicles, the rescue yes. vehicles with SWAT. And, and those, you, you used to be in SWAT team, so you know, you know more than me. Those vehicles were specifically designed for the police. Absolutely. They're not military vehicles. No. No military uses them. Uh, not in the United States that I know of. They are designed for the police. If they were for the military, they would have a belt-fed machine gun with a turret on them. Um, and, and basically what, what they call militarized is bullet-resistant vehicles and clothing. And I, I don't understand why the activists want it to be easier for criminals to shoot the police. I, well, you know, it, I, I like the way you bring this up as an example. Um, they are rescue vehicles. They're specifically designed as a barrier between somebody's violent actions to the people that are to protect the public, protect the citizens who are being either met with that violence. It's the stopgap. It's a shield. It's not to be used as a propaganda tool visually as something that looks menacing or looks violent. It's, it's a piece of metal. It's a vehicle used to move people to and from a situation. As somebody who's been on the team, it's a great professional team Seattle has, who has been shot at where that vehicle saved me from being killed and my teammates from being killed, it's an absolute necessity to have those types of pieces of equipment. And this militarized talking point has been used for years now since the Obama administration. Yeah. And th there's some police departments get military surplus Yeah, because they're expensive. I mean, um, I know that the first Bearcat we had it, they're considered rescue vehicles. It's the PC term. I think if I think it was like a quarter million dollars and most agencies can't afford that. And so it came in a government grant and Seattle has two of them. And then years prior, 
we used an old armored bank truck as our uh, shield, if you will. And then it evolved to the old school Air Force armored vehicles called a Peacekeeper. And at least they were something that stopped a bullet. Um, And the militarized surplus of equipment when not used in in a military capacity anymore has to go somewhere. And so if you have tactical operations where you need some piece of cover to protect officers or protect the public from some lunatic or lunatics who are looking to do harm, well, you can't just use a car because those rounds go through it. And so that's why this, you know, those, but, but, but it's used, that talking point, militarized equipment. Again, it's an intentional attempt to marginalize police away from their community. And I think for political purposes, and it ties into this defund, abolish the police movement. It's all very, very coordinated. Yeah, and I'd like to make another point. Sometimes during large protests or demonstrations, we have the SWAT team on standby. Mm -hmm. They're not there to intimidate anybody. They're there to protect the protesters. Because, yeah, Seattle may be liberal and left-leaning, but some crazy right-wing dude may come and attack them. And or a off- crazy left-wing liberal. Sure, why not? But our officers will risk their lives to protect the Antifa if some somebody comes to attack. Them. Good point. And that's why those vehicles are there. They're not there to intimidate anybody. If it's a large enough event or a controversial enough event, some wingnet could come there and try to attack the protesters. You're absolutely. So correct. that's why you see them at some protests. Thanks for clarifying that. And I'll continue with your first point. As a soldier, I rode in an armored vehicle and sat in a turret with a belt-fed machine gun. My job was to shoot enemy soldiers. In my 26 years as a cop, I have done no such thing. Contrary to activist complaints, SWAT teams' armored vehicles, armored clothing, and special training help them avoid deadly force, not commit it. A regular cop is often justified shooting someone who who threateningly brandished a handgun. A SWAT officer wearing protection, however, will wait longer before resorting to deadly force. In Seattle, our SWAT team recently saved a suicidal young black man with a gun. Yeah, that, that video is online. I had a link in when I wrote it, but they didn't, they put, the, it. They didn't put the link in there. But yeah. Here's the ending. This is you summing, summarizing yeah. your whole article. Here's the reality. We need police on the streets. Every day, cops arrest violent felons in the act. Even in low-crime city like Seattle, robbery crews are constantly at work. A woman was recently slaughtered in front of her young son at the grocery store where my daughters and I shop for food. Her crime? Chasing the man who stole her purse. That seems personal to you. What happened there? Yeah, uh, It's the grocery store I go to, and this... Person who has a drug problem stole a woman's purse and she reacted and chased him and he used his stolen car to run her over and kill her. Just to evade escape. Yeah. That's so, terrible. Yeah. And I mean, every day in my email inbox, I we get bulletins about some robber at work victimizing people. So, I mean, that kind of debunks the idea that uh, you don't really need police or armed police. I mean, there's some people that 
some of the defund people, they want just to have a SWAT team that kind of hides in the station and they only come out if there's some maniac on the loose with a gun. Uh, they don't want armed police patrolling. But it's a big city. Um, there's dangerous criminals out there. And when you're an officer and you get a call, you never know what you're facing. You don't. So that's why in this country, police officers carry guns because anybody can have a gun. Anybody can do violence. Yeah. Social justice warriors say that policing is hopelessly broken. And the only solution is, quote, defund, disarm, and disband, unquote. Take it from a left-leaning cop. Those arguments are either wildly exaggerated or just plain false. I like the way that reads. I think that this is an excellent piece. Thank you. Uh, Hopefully, it will encourage people to have a discussion on policing based on facts. If you were to add anything else in here, what would it be? Because I know you were limited to how many words you could have, and it was edited a few times, correct? Yeah. So walk me through that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that, that has the most important points. Um, what do you think I should have added? <laughs> well, I think you were excellent yeah. in the way you've just, you, you kept it simple. Yeah. But yet your points were so, on, I think, just on message that it's easy to digest and it breaks down what this defund nonsense truly is with good examples of how hypocritical it is. And I think the, t- the fact that you tie in your experience but the fact that you live in Seattle, but more importantly, you're a progressive cop when they try to paint cops as being these right-wing nutjobs. Right? We have a broad spectrum of our membership. We do. Right? That replicate, in my view, Seattle's values. Very diverse. And again, it's those are the same types of false narratives that we hear that we heard yesterday from the mob that marched on the, our union headquarters that continue to push false narratives about police across the nation. And if we don't stand up and correct the record and wrestle away the activist false narrative that is swallowing us all, not just in Seattle, but I think across our nation, then I think we're in a serious situation in our society. Where do you see the future of this playing out? Where does the defund movement lead us? Well, my fear is that violent crime will have to get much worse before you know things swing back and... I just think it would be tragic of all those lost lives when we've, we've really figured out what needs to be done. Um, good training, good technology, incremental improvement. I, I know it's, it's, it's not sexy to, to make gradual little improvements, but it works. Um, and it would just be tragic to just throw all the accomplishments we've made over the past decades to make policing more constitutional and, you know, and, and using the minimum amount of force necessary to do the job. It's well said. Um, is there hope for Seattle? 
being a resident, being a police officer? <sighs> public safety-wise. I don't want to box you in here. Public <laughs> safety-wise. I hope so. Um, I mean, it could be a race to the bottom if things get so miserable. Uh, businesses don't want to be here, and then you lose your tax base. What can people do that are watching this podcast or listening to it? How can they get involved to, to, to help rescue our quality of life away from these activists who are swallowing us all? I, well, I would say insist that they have a fact-based discussion. Look at the numbers. I, I, in, in my piece, I used New York City because they're, well, they're a much larger data set, and it's actually presented a little more clearly than the Seattle stuff. But, but look, look at the data. Does the data show that it's, things are getting worse or better as far as the performance of your police department? And how would, they, how would they best go about that? Like, what can we do as a union or as a department to facilitate people to get that information, to get well, involved? I, I, think, I think we're just too modest. Um, you know, I think we need to show the reduction uh, in the use of force. I mean, the Seattle Times published some articles earlier in this year before everybody decided they hated the police that show how we've improved and we did everything they asked, uh, the Department of Justice asked. Um, and, you know, my idea of, you know, be a little more transparent about the discipline that happens. Being humble, credible. Yeah, well, there, there is a lot of discipline of officers that make mistakes and they get punished or let go and we're, keep that kind of quiet. As far as the union does or the department? I don't I don't know if it's the union doing that, if it's some rule or it's the city's choice. They don't want to embarrass people who get disciplined. Um, I'm, I'm a big student of history, and I like to look at the historicals, uh, Seattle Times. And if you go like back in the 40s, if some officer does some did some kind of misconduct like in 1947 and got some days off, it would be published in the paper. With his, his name and his home address, sure. yeah, or you know, just all kinds of little stuff like that. So, so I don't know if we should do that. Well, it's basically the public shaming, right, to correct actions. Yeah. But we don't let the public know enough. We're too we're too modest. We don't let the public know when we do something good, and we also need to let the public know when we do something wrong and we take corrective Own action. It. Yeah, we're kind of kind of quiet about that. Um, it's you just know the, the I, culture. I like. I like. I, I like the way you're you're putting that. And this is coming from somebody who pays union dues, and I'm running the union here. I think that's good feedback. I'll give you an example, and I, I agree with you. I, you know, I've said that I have to be. Um, I have to guide this ship to counteract the the activist narrative, mm -hmm. to drive our narrative. That means not spin things, but be humble enough to own our mistakes to get credibility, and. Some of those issues that we encounter is you have an obligation to the member who's expecting the union to at least fight for them to the degree that we can fight for them, where we feel it's a winnable case, such as a termination case. If we feel that the investigation into that officer's termination was flawed and could have been done, could have been done better, then absolutely we'll fight for that position, that officer's viability 
Having said that, though, the past terminations that we've recently encountered, the investigation process to the degree has been, uh, it's, it's been at least done in a, in, in, in a way that makes it difficult for us to have a winnable case. And so we've had discipline appeal committees convene and evaluate these cases, and we haven't granted discipline appeals for the officers. And there has to be a way where we can get that information out to the public to be authentic, be real, be humble, to get credibility, but also not eviscerate the relationship we've had with the member who was just terminated, who paid union dues for years. And it's a tough balance. Much like the department can't get ahead of some use of force event with giving everything they have at the time because the case is under investigation, right? Because you have legal obligations. You have criminal court cases are going to be impacted by what information you put out there. So you've got to walk the line. And the problem is, is when you don't put information out there, who ends up filling the void? Our activists pushing false narratives. So I agree with you. Um, it's my mission to, to get us on a path of what I think is a great agency that is transparent. And as a union where we talk about these issues that are impacting our people, but impacting their jobs and push back against the false narratives of people saying that all we do is cover for bad cops is simply not true. Um, but if you're listening to this and watching this, you've got to be mindful of what's impacting Olympia here in the coming session. There's about 40 anti-police bills that are going to be hurting not just Seattle cops, but cops across the entire state. And it will get into, if we remove certain due process protections for just a normal human being in the performance of their job, if those get passed and it becomes law, there's serious public safety repercussions moving forward, such as decertification or due process removing arbitration rights for police. That's just simply not fair. And I'm willing to debate anybody and talk about these issues as far as unions not being transparent. I agree. I think we do need to more tr- be more transparent. I don't know if it's a union issue or a city issue. And I, and the argument against releasing their names is some officer, young officer makes a mistake, they get disciplined, and that gets put online. And for the next 20 years, it's used like a club to beat him over the head. Absolutely. Every time they go to court, we don't want that if it's a minor thing. Right. Uh, so it's it's a balancing act uh, between maintaining discipline and transparency. So yeah, and it is a balancing. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Christopher Young, <laughs> hey man, you were really great. I I appreciate your courage. I mean, it 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 says a lot. It takes a lot to put your name out there on a document that's public for public consumption at a time when this activism is crazy across our country and doxing is real and you're putting your name out there and you've already experienced at least the initial assault against you and your yeah. Thanks for being on, man. Thanks for talking to me. Good talk. Absolutely. Till next time, this is Mike Swan with Hold the Line. I want to credit Chris Young. And if you want to reach me, you can reach me at contact at Mike Solon at Hold the Line. And we'll get back to you. Your feedback is needed. Thanks a lot.